Wow, I love that song. And that song is truth. I mean, you know, the day's going to come, you know, where at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow. On the earth, under the earth, every living being, they're going to bow before the resurrected, ruling, and reigning Christ. What a privilege that we get to sing about him as we enjoy our present eternal life and worship. Love it. Please be seated. I want to welcome you to Grace. We are really glad that you're here. If you're a guest or visitor, I want to encourage you to take the card in the seat pocket in front of you and fill that out. Uh, it would really serve us if we uh, could know how to pray for you. And so there's a place uh, on that card where you can you know, write out a prayer request. We'd love to be able to, to, to pray for you. Uh, two announcements. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward and take the offering, uh, but two announcements. Uh, tonight is our chili and trivia night, uh, 5.30 to 7.30 p.m. We're going to have a great time. Uh, Adam has prepared a lot of great questions. Uh, I really tried to see what he was going to prepare. He, he's kept it secret from me, uh, but we'd love to have you. Uh, please think about bringing your best chili recipe tonight. Uh, if you look in the update, we're going to prepare the fixings and all those things. You bring the chili and come prepared to com compete with some trivia. Immediately after our second service, we're going to have a baptism. And so we'd love to have you um, be there for the baptism. And so uh, that's coming up immediately after the second service. Right now, I want to invite up my good friend, Tim Jackson. And uh, I want to interview him about an opportunity we got coming up for serving. Dr. Jackson, you come, come forward. <clears throat> Tim, you've been in the community a, a, a long time, and a lot of us know and respect you. Tell us a little bit about your background. Um, first of all, my name is Timothy Jackson. I uh, was born in Denver, Colorado, educated at, the university, educated at the University of Colorado, and did my master's of systematic theology at Denver Seminary. Then I uh, came to Bartlesville as a senior pastor of Greater First, finished my first doctorate at uh, International Biblical Seminary in Plymouth, Florida, uh, did a second doctorate at uh, uh, Midwestern uh, Baptist Theological Seminary in Missouri, uh, followed through with uh, counseling degrees in the American Association of Christian Counselors. And if you take all that and give me a dollar, I can go buy a cup of coffee. <laughs> uh, I love the Lord. I have a passion for his people, specifically the uh, disenfranchised, the marginalized, and those that uh, the society has forgotten. And I'm presently serving as the outreach coordinator at uh, the Nehemiah House. So tell us a little bit about the Nehemiah House. Nehemiah House is an organization that originated about 14 years ago, and the vision was to develop a re-entry program to re-socialize felons coming out of prison. It has grown from that now to providing what we call sober living houses, and now the emphasis, because of the housing crisis throughout the country, the emphasis is more on providing them with housing, jobs, life skills, and spiritual development. And I serve in that capacity. Well, we are excited to be doing some projects with Nehemiah House. Amen. And we got one coming up this weekend. Yes, we do. Uh, and we got, we got enough volunteers this weekend. But tell us a little bit about what we're going to do this weekend and then about what your vision is for kind of going forward with some projects that we might be able to do together. Okay. This week, we, we initiated a program that we've developed over the last five months. It's called Adopt a Home. Can you all say that? Adopt, Adopt a, a home. home. Amen. Isn't that nice and warm? <laughs> anyway, the goal is to provide minor home repairs uh, and landscaping repairs for senior citizens, women with children, uh, seniors that are over 60, provide them with resources because some of them don't have the financial resources and some of them don't have the physical ability, and we want to serve them. So we've organized uh, a nice uh, organization where we'll liaison with different volunteer groups and churches, and we will, we, we will use those volunteers to provide the services, the funding, and so forth. Our program for this Saturday, we are doing in liaison with your men's group, 
at uh, Grace, and they have been so, so loving and so embracing. We're going to go and we're going to help uh, a senior citizen, in fact, my next door neighbor, going to help uh, reestablish her bathroom. Uh, she's, she's got some tile that needs ripping up and needs some uh, appliances moved and a toilet taken on and put back in. And then, of course, we want to, at the end of it, have an opportunity to pray with her and uh, solicit her prayers as well and uh, just express the practical love of the Lord in a practical way. Thank you. Thank you. And in the future, we've got some, we, we can expect new projects and things sure. like that. We're, and we're excited about that. Amen. Super fired up about good, that. Good, yeah. good, good. Yeah. Yeah, the, the Adopt-A-Home, we have a plan for once a month, we will do the same thing with whoever. Uh, the people will present a problem, they'll fill out an application, we'll come and we'll look at it, we'll assess the needs and the resources and how much it's going to cost. We've already established liaisons with different businesses so we can get the supplies at a cost that's affordable for them. Well, not affordable for them, but for affordable to our programs. Yeah. We are the ones doing the funding. Yeah. And then uh, we'll do the work, and then afterwards we'll give them an um, a evaluation form so that we can kind of keep track of what we're doing. And, but my understanding is the men's group will also be doing programs like that. So what we've decided is rather than ask your men's group to recreate the wheel, they can use all the administrative yep. stuff that we've already put together, and however we can assist them, we want to do that. Awesome. Awesome. Let me pray for Nehemiah House yeah. and, and you. Lord Jesus, I want to say thank you so much for, uh, for Tim Jackson. Lord, I want to thank you for his tremendous leadership, his insightful leadership, his gracious leadership. And I want to thank you, Lord, for the many things that I have been blessed to learn just through the time that I've spent with him. Lord, I pray that you pour out your Holy Spirit on, on his ministry, on Nehemiah House, on the work that he's doing. Lord, thanks for the privilege that we have of beginning to partner with some of the things that they're doing Lord, pour out your blessing on what you have been already doing and we're entering into. We love that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <laughs> God bless Thanks, brother. <clears throat> All right, I want to invite you to turn to uh, John chapter 5, 30 through 47. And we are uh, back in our series in the Gospel of John. So it's John 5, 30 through 47. Um, you know that uh, the flu season is just about over. How many of you got the flu this year? Just, just raise your hand if you, if you got the flu this year. Uh, okay, so you are less than the U.S. population because uh, in, in reading about that this year, this was the worst flu season on record. In fact, I, I read this. Uh, we're going to talk about spirit, combating spiritual sickness this morning. But I read this. This year's flu season could be the deadliest in years and the most expensive. Normally, uh, the U.S. Uh, has about 35 million people come down with the flu each year. This year, it was exceeded in a big way. In fact, normally, the flu costs about $10 billion in terms of lost productivity to businesses and things like that. This year, it cost apparently more like $17 to $20 billion. And it seems like everybody I talked to had a flu story. They had a flu story. Like one of the flu stories I heard was, was parents, you know, who both work saying, okay, our kids got the flu and we had to negotiate who's going to work because our kids were so sick. And then we negotiated that and then both the parents got sick and the child was okay. And then I heard people who said, yeah, we got two different strains of the flu this year. It was, it was really, really bad this year. Then Dan Jernigan of the CDC said, in all the years that we've monitored the flu, this year is the first year that the entire continental U.S. has the same color on the graph. In other words, it was evenly distributed throughout the entire United States. The flu has become the American sickness. The American sickness. What does everybody think about getting when flu season begins? The flu shot. It's become the American sickness. Now, the Bible says that we have the propensity for a spiritual sickness. And the spiritual sickness is a sickness that, like the flu, infects every one of us. And I would define that spiritual sickness as the sickness 
of stubbornness. It's spiritual stubbornness. It's the stubbornness that says, I'm doing it my way. To put it mildly, it's the sickness of stubborn control. Now, you know what stubbornness is, but let me define it a little bit further for you. Stubbornness is the dogged determination that I will not change my attitude. I don't care what you say. Stubbornness is the inability to listen to the opinion of others. You've, you've heard people talking and you just want to go, uh, like this. I'm not listening to you. I'm stubborn. I will not listen to what you have to say. Stubbornness is resisting any sort of positive change. You dogmatically assume you're right. You automatically assume the other person is wrong. And you're pig-headed, difficult, obstinate. You know what that's like. I'm that way sometimes. You're that way sometimes. It's the sickness of spiritual stubbornness. Now, applied spiritually, stubbornness is resistance to God's Word. It's resistance to the activity of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's resistance to spiritual community. It's saying, sorry, God, I'm going my way. I don't care what you say. Now, you might not say it quite like that, but that's how it comes across. Moses pointed this out in Deuteronomy 29, 19. This is one of the most amazing verses in the Bible. This is a, a slight paraphrase from the New Living Translation. Those, this is God speaking. Those who hear the dire warnings of God's Word should not congratulate themselves thinking, I'm safe. I'll be exempt. Even though I'm following the desires of my own stubborn heart. God says, look, this is going to lead to utter ruin if you do that. It's going to lead to ruin. So uh, in this passage we're going to look at today in the Gospel of John, Jesus confronts the sickness of spiritual stubbornness. And the way we're going to look at this is we're going to start off with the ideal. We're going to look at the, at the picture of health. Then we're going to look at reasons why we should move toward that health. And then I'm going to strongly challenge you to reject how that stubbornness manifests itself. So we'll start off with the health. What's really cool about this passage is that Jesus demonstrates what a healthy relationship with the Father is like. And he does it in, in two verses that sort of bookend this uh, passage. Here's the first verse. Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. We see a similar concept in John 5.30. I can do nothing on my own. I judge as God tells me. Therefore, my judgment is just because I carry out the will of the one who sent me, not my own will. Now, these describe Jesus' relationship with the Father, and I want you to notice what Jesus is not saying. He's not saying that He's passive and the Father sort of acts upon Him like a puppet. Not saying that. He's not saying, uh, man, I cannot put one foot in front of the other without the Father helping me, like I'm really powerless. He's not saying that. What Jesus is talking about is is about relationship and mission. So I want you to do a thought experiment. Just, just go with me on this little thought experiment. Let's suppose, theoretically, that Jesus could have lived in independence from the Father. He could have lived without reference to His relationship with the Father. Maybe He could have said this, you know what? I'm going to use my attribute of omniscience, and I'm going to read people's minds. I don't need the Father to do that. I'm just going to do this on my own. And he would have done it with the same attitude that you have when you Facebook stalk a friend. Could Jesus have done that? Theoretically, he had the power to do it. Another thought experiment. Maybe you could have said, today I'm going to use my attribute of omnipresence, and I'm going to do really cool miracles at a distance. And I'm going to wow the people on the other side of the lake. And I'm going to do some really cool things that people have never seen before. 
I don't need the Father to do that. I can do that on my own because I got the power. Or maybe he could have said, I'm going to use my attributes of omnipotence to not walk on the water. I'm going to run in the water. I don't need the Father to do that. I've got the power in myself to do that. It's just a thought experiment. But what Jesus is saying is, I don't do life that way. I bring the Father into everything that I do. Now, theologically, what happened was Jesus, who had the attributes of deity, Jesus said, I am going to lay aside the independent use of those things, and I'm going to only do those things which the Father is moving and convicting me to do. I'm only going to do those in relationship to the Father. Now, let me tell you something. God has gifted you with many gifts. Some of you have the gifts of being a great accountant. Some of you have the gifts of being a great athlete. Some of you have great musical gifts. It's possible to use those without reference to the Father. But God's example in Jesus is that we would do everything with an interactive dependence upon the Father. This concept of interactive dependence is used in many ways in the Bible, but here's some other terms, other biblical terms. Walking in the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, walking in the light, abiding in Christ, being yoked up with Jesus, loving our Abba Father, living in His kingdom presence. This is such a robust relationship that it's described by many, many different terms. The idea is that we would live in interactive fellowship with the Father. We would live in interactive, interdependent relationship with the Son of God. Now, with that in mind, let's look at John 5, 19 and 30 one more time, and let's get some clues about how we do this. Living in interactive fellowship has three features. The first feature is it implies a personal relationship. You know, he talks about the Father. That seems common to us because we hear Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Trinity. That was so radical back then. He's talking about having a loving personal relationship with the God of the universe who is intimately connected to Him. He's the Father. So when you live in this interactive dependency, you enjoy a warm personal relationship. I may have used this illustration before, but my son called me a while back and he said, Dad, I'm sure I used this before, but this has been really impactful for me. He calls, he calls me and he says, Dad, thank you for making me do Boy Scouts. Just came back from the rock climbing wall. He said, I had a great time. And then he reminded me of all the Boy Scout trips that we took. And I know I gave you a hard time, Dad. I know I gave you a hard time about that stuff, but I'm reaping the benefits now. Now, how did that make you feel? It made me feel great. My son is living in interactive fellowship with me, celebrating things that we did in the past. Living in an interactive relationship with God means you see him as the best father possible. You call him like Jesus called him, Abba, Father. Abba, Aramaic word for daddy. But it's actually, in Aramaic, a little bit more respectful than what we would say daddy. It's like most exalted dad, most respected daddy. It's a very, very close and intimate term. So to live in interactive fellowship with God means that you come to him with this sense that He loves you, that He is for you, and that he wants, to, he wants to grow that relationship. That's what it means to live interactively with, with God. Here's the second thing that it means. It means that you're living in a, with a source of power. Notice um, in Jesus' case, the Father reveals the path the Son walks down the path. The Father leads, the Son receives. The Father guides, the Son goes. 
He says, I do nothing apart from the empowering grace of the Father. Nothing. So living in an interactive fellowship with God means I'm warmly connected to Him in personal relationship, but I'm also receiving His power, operating strongly in His, his strength. I don't know about you, but I like living in places of power. I do. I love it. I love being able to, uh, to run with my grandkids. I, I had a situation when I was taking care, when I was in Seattle with, with our grandkids, where uh, I, I can get into kid mode very, very quickly with my grandkids. So quickly, sometimes my daughters have to say, Dad, Dad, don't wind them up before bed. So I had two of my grandkids, and, and um, my little grandson says, you can't get me. Wait, that, that kind of fires up the kid in me, you know. And so they have a house that's situated so that you could actually run living room, dining room, kitchen, living room, dining room, kitchen, living room, dining room. And I, I'm running with the kids around. And like, I'm, I'm into it. You know, I'm really, I like having the power to do that, okay? So the idea is that if you live in interactive fellowship with the Father, God gives you spiritual power that you can use to, for your good and for His kingdom. One more that we see from these two verses, it establishes authority. You live in interactive fellowship with God and there's authority. Jesus says, as I hear, I judge. My judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. The Father loves, loves to convey authority to you. You have authority. You have authority. You are a believer priest, which means you can pray with authority. You are an ambassador for Christ, which means you have the authority to represent Jesus Christ in prayer, Jesus Christ in evangelism. You have, you have authority. I would suspect very few people live in the abundant authority that we possess, and living in an interactive relationship with God grants us that. So what Jesus is doing is He's giving us a window into a healthy relationship with the Father. That's a window into health right there. Second uh, Corinthians, Paul, Paul puts it this way in Second Corinthians, such confidence we have through Christ toward God, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God who has made us adequate as servants of a new covenant. New covenant talks about the new relationship we have with the Father mediated through the Spirit. So we have this authority, this power, this relationship, and we can walk in this and we can, we can live in this. Now, here's where the sickness of spiritual stubbornness comes in. Because you say, okay, got it. I know I can do that, but the stubbornness says, I don't know if I want to. I don't know if I want to. Because if I start living in an interactive daily relationship with God, uh, He might mess things up in my life. That's what we think. He might tell us to do something I don't want to do. Uh, C.S. Lewis used to talk about the fact that he said, you know, I'll be real honest with you about what C.S. Lewis said. He, he, he said, I like having my cigarette in the morning with my coffee before prayer. Because I'm not sure I want God to tell me I shouldn't be smoking cigarettes. <laughs> really appreciate his honesty. Because that's how a lot of people feel about the weightier things. Not sure I want to pray about to, to God because he might tell me to forgive my spouse. He might tell me to make an amend to my child. He might tell me to change the ethical difficulty that I have at work. That's where the sickness of spiritual stubbornness comes in. And I will tell you that the, uh, the religious leaders listening to Jesus in the story had it in a big way because they love their religious practices and their rules. And some of them have become very rich. And to live the kind of life Jesus is talking about means, uh, I, I, 
might be confronted about my current, my current habits. So religion became their God substitute. Rather than living in interactive fellowship with God, they say, you know what? Nope. What I want is religion. I want religion. Uh, I want the rules. I want the customs. I want the jewelry. I want the bells. I want the scents. I want, all, I want the religion. Not so sure I want the reality. That is the sickness of spiritual su stubbornness. I will tell you that denominational Protestants do this. Members of the Catholic faith and the, or the Orthodox faith do this. And evangelical Christians, although they deny it, do it as well. We all do it. We want to substitute reality for our version of religion. So Jesus has modeled health. Now what Jesus is going to do is he's going to show us why we should pursue it. It's like going to the doctor's office and the doctor says, okay, let's get serious for a second. You got some changes to make. Oh, doc, I don't want to do the changes. All right, I know, I know. But let me, let me give you some reasons as to why you should do the changes. Okay, okay, give them to me. Jesus is going to give us reasons as to why we should pursue spiritual health. Before I, I give you the reasons, I want to remind you, these, these apply to those who know Christ and those who don't know Christ. Non-believers need to come to the Father through Jesus for salvation. Believers likewise need to come to the Father for growth. The goal is the same, that we will live in interactive fellowship with the God of the universe. So when Jesus begins in, in verse 31, what Jesus, the way he begins is he says, if, if I alone bear witness to myself, my testimony is not true. Now, what he means by that, <clears throat> here's the reasons. What he means by that, <clears throat> about his testimony not being true, is that in the Old Testament, if you made a bold claim as a prophet, you needed two witnesses. Jesus had just made a bold claim. You can live in interactive fellowship with the Father, just like Father and Son do. You can do that. Jesus says, I'm not going to give you two, two witnesses. I'm going to give you five witnesses, five reasons why you should move toward this lifestyle of health. First witness is the witness of the Father. Verse 32, another bears witness. Verse 37, the Father bears witness. When did the Father bear witness to the Son? At His baptism. Jesus goes into the water, He's pulled out of the water, and God the Father says of His Son, this is my beloved Son, my one and only. Listen to Him. Listen to Him. The Father bore witness to the Son. In fact, the Father speaks verbally three times in Jesus' ministry. He speaks at His baptism verbally. He speaks at His transfiguration verbally. He speaks at His triumphal entry, John 12, 28, verbally. God the Father identifies and testifies to His Son. God the Father is still doing this. He's still doing it. And He's doing it in your life because Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him, okay? So Jesus, you know, why should you pursue health? Why should you pursue an interactive relationship with the Father? Why? It's because the Father is drawing you. The Father is testifying to the bigness and the greatness and the glory of Jesus. That's the first reason. Here's a, another reason why we should pursue health, spiritual health. If God the Father is the first witness to the Son, then John the Baptist is the second witness. Verse 33, you sent to John, <clears throat> John the Baptist is the second, second witness, you sent to John and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. John was a burning and shining lamp and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. You know, when John the Baptist came on the scene, people were extremely fired up. John the Baptist looked like a prophet. He smelled like a prophet. He dressed like a prophet. He ate like a prophet. And he was the first prophet to come along 
in about 400 years. And when people saw John, they thought, this is a guy like Ezekiel and Daniel and Isaiah and Jeremiah. And people flocked to hear his message. Uh, And they basked in the light of that message for a while until he started pointing the way to Jesus. And And then what happened? His popularity, bam, just like that, began to die down. Is God still using messengers? No doubt about it. Everybody in this room, if you could tell your story, could tell the story of a person who was the messenger, the John the Baptist for you. Might have been a grandmother or a mom or a brother or a sister or a cousin or a best friend or a coworker or even somebody who shared the gospel with you cold turkey. Everybody has a story and there's always a messenger in that story, right? It's a messenger. God the Father is still using the witness of others to testify about His Son. One of the things that kind of blows me away is that the Christian movement today is massive and growing around the world. Laman Sana, who is, teaches at Yale University, talked about the explosion of Christianity in the global south, South America, Africa, uh, India, and so on. Why is the Christian movement so explosive in the global south? Because one person is telling another person about Jesus, all right? It's the witness of others. That's why you should move toward health, because there are people around you who say, Rod, move toward health. Here's the third witness. It's the witness of miracles, Um, here's what Jesus says, the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, for the works the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Jesus claims to do supernatural works. Now look, as Christians living in the year 2018, we know that the Christian worldview creates expectations for the miraculous. We know that. If the God of the universe can create the universe out of nothing, 13.5 billion light years big, if the God of the universe can do that, then the God of the universe can suspend the normative laws of nature and He can intervene in His created order. He can do that. If the God of the universe can raise His Son, Jesus, from the dead, then the God of the universe can intervene in your life, and He can perform the miraculous. And God is still doing this. You know, um, it was hard to track this before the internet. I know there's a lot of erroneous things on the internet, but there's a lot of things that the internet does that helps reveal trends. And one of the trends that the internet has revealed in the past 20 years is that God is doing things which are undoubtedly miraculous in conjunction with the growth of the Christian faith. Just this morning, I was talking to one of our members here who is reading the book by Eric Metaxas called Miracles. And Metaxas does an incredible job showing how miraculous things are taking place, yes, internationally outside of American culture, but also domestically within our American culture. The problem is we're afraid to talk about it because we're afraid of the criticism that may come if we do talk about it. There's pushback. Metaxas does a great job talking about that. Remember the day that I sat down with an Iranian friend of mine, and we were at McAllister's, and we spent two hours. He told me about how his dad came to Christ because his dad had a vision of the resurrected Jesus in the hospital room. He says, my dad got up out of the hospital bed after that vision of Jesus, and he said the back that they were going to do surgery on didn't need surgery anymore. My dad lived a powerful relationship with Christ until he died at the age of 80. That's what my Iranian friend told me. So why should we move toward health? Because Jesus is on the move. God is doing miraculous things in the the world. There's another reason, the witness of the Bible. Jesus said, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. This is the reason why we move toward health is because of the Bible. You know, 
Um, we'll see exactly what Jesus is confronting in a moment, but the Old Testament is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. You know, what's really interesting is that the Old Testament gives us prophecies like dozens and dozens of them about the first coming of Christ. On nearly every page, there's something that foreshadows the coming of Christ. On nearly every page, there's something about the character of God who is going to provide the Messiah in the fullness of time. Why should we move toward health in Christ? Because the entire Bible is about the supremacy of Jesus, the Son of God. And here's, here's the final, final reason Jesus gives the prophecy of Moses. This is a really interesting one. Um, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There's one who accuses you, Moses, to whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how you believe my words. Well, where did Moses write of Jesus? In Deuteronomy 18, 15, where he says, a prophet will come who will be like me. Jesus is that prophet of Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 15. So these are five reasons why it's important that we move toward health. Very, very important we move, move toward health. So here are the five reasons stated somewhat differently. Why move toward health? God the Father loves the Son. He wants us to love the Son as well. Greater, great people have gone before us, love Jesus, and they want us to love Jesus as well. It's, it's funny, my, my son and daughter-in-law got a new dog, and uh, they bring the new dog over, and they want me to cuddle and love the dog. I'm in a cuddling and loving with my grandkids. They want me to cuddle and love with the dog. They don't have kids yet, so they want me to cuddle and love with the dog. When you love something or someone, you want other people to love it as well, right? There are people who've gone before us who love Jesus and want us to love Him. Many people who know Jesus experience miracles. Well, we ought to move toward health in Christ so that we might live in that miraculous power. The Bible brings us true truth about Jesus. That's another reason to move toward health. And then Jesus is the fulfillment of massive levels of prophecy. All this is designed to move us to a place where we say, I want to live in interactive fellowship with the Son of God. The result, confidence that I am warmly invited into His love. Man, how precious are your thoughts toward me, O God. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. God invites you into His love. He wants you to be spiritually healthy. He wants you to resist stubbornness. So, here's my challenge to you. Address stubbornness by addressing this nasty little problem called a religious spirit. Let me read verses 40 through 47 to you. I'm going to read this somewhat quickly, but I want you to notice the underlined words. Jesus says, you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I don't receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and yet you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from another? Do not think I will accuse you before the, to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Now, here's what's going on in these words, very cleverly written. The number of times the words believe and receive are mentioned here is not by accident. Uh, the word <coughs> receive is used three times. The word believe is mentioned three times, three and three. And these two things are roughly equivalent in John's gospel. You know, John 1.12, you know, to them who receive him, you know, they're the ones who believe, receive and believe are the same, same essential things. And what Jesus is saying is, you guys refuse to do this. You refuse to believe me. You refuse to receive me. You just refuse. What is that? Stubbornness. It's just old-fashioned religious stubbornness. You refuse. That's being stubborn. I refuse 
you know, you say to somebody, I think you should make an amend. I refuse to make an amend. What is that? Stubbornness. And these guys are acting out a spiritual stubbornness. And the thing is, they're so religious. They're so religious. You know, when somebody prays them for looking all haggard after they fasted, uh, oh, they felt so good about that. You noticed. I'm so religious, I fasted. When somebody complimented them on their obsessive adherence to the Sabbath rules, you are such a great Sabbath keeper. Yes. Somebody noticed. They had this love of religion. So what is a, what is a religious spirit? A religious spirit is pride in your religious identity. It's smugness about your religious attainments. It's egotism about your spiritual disciplines. It's conceit about your religious subculture. And that's the, the final one is the one that I see most often. It's not only pride, it's what energizes that pride and what you do with that pride. Religious spirit is this pride and what energizes the pride and what you, what you do with the pride. So it's, it's taking the religious subculture and trusting that more than God. It's taking the religious subculture and judging others who don't measure up. It's taking that religious subculture and pretending that your culture, your religious subculture is better than everybody else's. It's making your religious subculture a substitute for God himself. A.W. Tozer put it this way. Any spirit that permits compromise with the world is a false spirit. Any religious movement that imitates the world in any of its manifestations is false to the cross of Christ and on the side of the devil. And as Tozer suggests, when you do this, you invite spiritual warfare in a big way. It's very easy for a demonic force to attach itself to your religious stubbornness in your religious spirit. Very easy for a demonic force to attach itself so that whenever you feel especially religious, the pride comes in. And you think, wow, I am really, really tight with God. I'm so tight with Him. He must really love me. He must really love me better than that friend of mine who... Just not, just not as disciplined as I am. Just, uh, just, not, just not as cool as I am. So this is, uh, this is one, of the, one of the reasons why I think a lot of people hold Jesus at arm's length. Because what started off as subtle spiritual stubbornness becomes a religious spirit energized by the evil one. And it all goes back to this idea in verse 45. You refuse, Jesus says. You refuse spiritual stubbornness. All right, so let's talk about how to get healthy. Three ways to resist spiritual stubbornness. Number one, do a heart check. Do a heart check. You know, if you have chest pain, what do you do? You don't ignore it. You go to the cardiologist. He, he or she hooks you up onto a machine. It might be EKG machine or you do a stress test. It's more serious to do a, a CTA test or an angiogram, and you get the printout. And now you've got a picture of reality. And the ideal is you have no blockages in your heart. That's the ideal. But I have a friend over the weekend who, down in Dallas, had chest pains, went to the doctor. There were two blockages. And guess what they did to him? Immediately, they put stents in. He had, he had a problem, okay? When you see disturbing symptoms, you don't, you don't blow them off. So what are the symptoms of unhealth spiritually? Symptom number one is contempt for God. Symptom number one is cynical feelings about, about God. Or contempt for fellow Christians who don't measure up. Or contempt for the church. Contempt is a telltale sign of unhealth. Another marker is that you withdraw from the body of Christ. You say, I, I, don't, I don't need them. I'm going to do my relationship with Jesus on my own. I talked to somebody, somebody recently who said, yeah, you know, I kind of got hurt by the church, been out of it for, I don't know, four or five years, and then the bottom dropped out of their life. 
and there was no body of Christ to come in and model the love of God. Um, another telltale sign is you have no appetite for God's word. Um, people who encounter health have a hunger for God's word. If, you're, if your health is, is in question, you know, it's like you'll, you'll lose your appetite uh, for that. One more, you're no longer teachable. Therefore, you stop listening to people. You adopt a know-it-all stance. You know, somebody says something to you, you say, yeah, yeah, I've heard that before. No, I'm not, not into that. So you do, do a heart check. If, you're, if you sense there's spiritual stubbornness, just admit reality. You know, when you go get your heart tested and that printout is there, do you say, ah, I don't want to see that. I want to go on just doing what I'm doing, even though it's not working for me. No, you say, okay, tell me what reality is so that I can make the changes that I need to make. At least that's the way I am. Not everybody's that way, but that's <laughs> it's important to see reality and say, all right, let's go forward. Here's a second way. Build an interactive fellowship with Jesus, like we were talking about. And the biblical picture for this is the idea of... Uh, of the, of the two oxen together. You got an old oxen on the left, you got a young oxen on the right. The old oxen knows what it's like to be linked up and to go. The young oxen says, I'm going to do it my way. So you link the old up with the young. And the young needs to go in the direction of the old. And what helps him do that? The yoke. The yoke empowers him to do that. So living in an interactive relationship says, you say, Jesus, okay, a uh, little, little frightened about doing this, but I want to yoke up with you. I want you to be my leader, and I want to go where you're going. I want to do what you're doing. I want to have the attitude that you would have so that, Jesus, if you were living my life, I want to know how you would be doing my life if you were living my life. Jesus, if you were a doctor, show me how, what I would do. If I, if you, Jesus, if you were a nurse, show me how you would do the nursing thing. Jesus, if you were an accountant, show me how you would do the accounting thing. If, I, if you were a university professor, show me how I would do how to do that like you would do it, living interactively with him. That's how you beat spiritual stubbornness. You start living interactively with Jesus. The third thing is that you, is that you embrace your mission because um, the thing is, you know, one of the things that Jesus models in John 19, 519 and 530 is that he's on a mission. Yeah, I only do what the Father is doing. Well, what's, what's the Father doing? The Father has a mission. The Father has sent Jesus into mission. So here's the operative verse. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. If you want to get healthy, what you realize is the Father sent Jesus on a mission and Jesus sent you on a mission. The most unhealthy followers of Jesus are those followers of Jesus who say, I'm not going to really do anything because don't really want to or don't know what to do or nobody's told me what to do. Well, if you're, if you're never challenged to be on mission, it's hard for you to be in that cutting edge dependence on, on, on God. But if you start saying, okay, I'm on a mission, where is that mission? Well, for all of us here, it's Bartlesville, Oklahoma, USA. As the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. Where are you today? You're in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, USA. That means you're on mission in this city. And what does it mean to be on mission in this city? It means that you have a mission to, at the very least, reflect the presence of God in your office or your home, or your clinic, or your classroom, or wherever you happen to be. Your mission at the very least is to reflect the character of God in that place, and it goes upward from there. You want to get, have a healthy relationship with Jesus, you focus on that mission. And I, I should just give you one more, and, and, and one more, I'd be remiss if I didn't say this. Um, if you haven't come to Jesus yet for salvation, that's where you start. That's where you start. Because the people Jesus is talking to had not yet come to him for salvation. You can't live an interactive relationship with the Son of God if you don't know the Son of God personally.
And the way you come to know the Son of God personally is you transfer your trust from yourself onto the finished work of Jesus Christ. And when you do that, a transformation takes place. We sang about the transformation. We go from glory to glory to glory. Transformation is that you, at a fundamental level, are born again. You're born anew. You're transformed. So as I, we close in prayer, what, what I want you to do for a second is just to bow quietly before the Lord, and I want you to evaluate your spiritual health. And it's an either-or question. Are you stubborn or are you open? And just, I just want you to kind of say one or the other internally. Yeah, Lord, I'm, I'm stubborn. Or, no, Lord, I'm really, really open. Just identify reality for a moment and just tell God what your reality is. He can deal with that. He can deal with that. And if you're stubborn... I want to encourage you to say this, Lord, I'm stubborn. Help me want to want you. And if you're open, just say, Lord, more, more, more. Let's stand for a closing prayer. Lord Jesus, we um, thank you that you modeled the ideal relationship with the Father. Jesus, we, uh, we aspire to that. Lord, let us live that way like Jesus lived. We thank you so much for the privilege of being able to live and walk in your footsteps, Lord Jesus. Praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Reminder, reminder. This afternoon, 5.30, we have our chili and trivia night. Bring your best chili, and we have a baptism after, immediately after the second service. Have a great day.